Well, I hope you have your notebooks handy and get that ready as we uh, share some things with you tonight. For the last couple of weeks, now that we've gone, come back in here for our Bible study, we've kind of session two of how to read your Bible like a seminary student. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how to interact with your Bible, not just to read it, but how to interact with your Bible. And we learned that there are three things that you can and should do with any scripture that you're reading. If you're trying to do, read the scripture better, we, we learned in the first week as we came back to session two, we, we learned study the language. Just look up words that seem to be key words in the text. Study the language. And we talked about the resources for doing that. And then last week we talked about investigating the background. That is trying to understand the cultural context. And we talked about that last week. How do you understand the cultural context of the scripture that you're reading? And if you missed any of that, all of that is on our website. Then you can look it up and, and watch it again. Tonight we're going to talk about that third aspect of what to do when you read the scripture. Study the language, investigate the background. Tonight we're going to talk about evaluating the genre. Try to discern what type of literature you're reading. That's what that means. Evaluating the genre. Trying to discern what kind of literature is this when I read the book of Matthew? What kind of literature is this when I'm reading Isaiah? Now, I will say to you, and I confess this to you, I've confessed it to Brad earlier in the week, I've really struggled with how to present this material to you. But I also want to make it practical. I want to teach you new things, but I also want you to be able to use it in your Bible study. So if I start talking about synonymous parallelism or antithetical parallelism or progressive parallelism, you may have a better understanding of Hebrew poetry, but I doubt that you're going to use it tomorrow morning in your devotion time. Nor will I. And so I've really struggled this week. It's like, okay, how much do I present and how do I present it so that it's practical? Informative, yes, but practical also. Uh, so tonight as we talk about evaluating the genre of scripture, our goal is not to go deep in the subject. Uh, I finally, as I wrestled with that all week, I, de I decided we're not going to go deep in the subject. Our goal is to give you a working knowledge of the literary categories of the Bible. And the more I worked on it at that level, just a working knowledge of the literary categories of the Bible, the more excited I got about teaching tonight. Uh, let me give you an illustration maybe to kind of help set the stage for what we want to talk about tonight. Let's imagine that you've never seen nor tasted an apple, an orange, a banana, or a grape. That would be a pretty boring life, wouldn't it? You've never got to see or taste an apple, an orange, a banana, or a grape. Now, if you had never seen or tasted any of those things, I could teach you that those are four different kinds of fruit. I could teach you how to recognize the fruit by color and shape. And that might be informative. You may learn something, but it's not going to be really satisfying. Or you could take it a step further, right? And you could actually taste the fruit. And if you tasted the fruit, the next time you saw an apple, an orange, a banana, or a grape, you'd have a much better appreciation for what it is. Because you've tasted it. That's really what I hope happens tonight. When you talk about the genres of Scripture, I can teach you to recognize the different genres in the Bible, and you may learn something, but I'm not sure how satisfying that's going to be to you. I want to give you a taste 
of some of the genres of Scripture. I, w- I want you to taste it. I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to understand it. I want you to, so that when you come to your Bible, you can better appreciate what you're reading. And that's why I'm excited about the study tonight. I want you to be able to better appreciate what you're reading. I want to give you tonight uh, a look at the different genres of Scripture because I want you to leave tonight fascinated at God's Word. When was the last time you just marveled at Scripture? When was the last time you marveled and admired the, the craftsmanship that the Holy Spirit put into this book? Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. When was the last time you just kind of marveled at how God put His Word together? You know, but let me remind you, this is the best-selling book of all time. And it is the best-selling book of all time because God reveals Himself to us through the creativity of His Word. So that will be our focus tonight. We're going to look at some of the primary genres of Scripture And that might sound very boring to you. It might sound like we're trying to teach you the shapes of an apple, an orange, a grape, and a banana. But we're hopefully going to give you a taste of it. And and so tonight, we're going to try to give you a taste of the genres. And then let me tell you where we're going after tonight. Uh, We've got two more sessions after tonight. And in those last two sessions, we're going to talk about the process of application. How do we go about living out the Word of God? Those will be very practical, very helpful times as we talk about how to take the Word of God that you're reading it and living it out. So, could I just say it to you this way? If you have to miss a night, let it be last week, okay? So let's just jump in. Let's just jump in and I want to give you an overview of the various types of literature in the Bible. And as we try to do that, you need to understand this is an enormous task. And this is why I was so overwhelmed earlier in the week. Because you know, but let me explain it to you again. There are 66 individual books in the Bible broken down to more than 1,100 chapters and 31,000 verses. 31,000 verses. Now, I want you to hear me say that every book... Every chapter, every verse is the Word of God. Would you agree with that? Every book is the Word of God. Every chapter is the Word of God. Every verse is the Word of God. I'll take it a step further. Every word is the Word of God. But not every book, not every chapter, not every verse are alike. They're very different. One of the most powerful and complex features of the Bible is that it consists of many different types of genres, many different types of literature. It's all the Word of God, but it's not all the same. So let's start with the basic definition. What do we mean by genre? When you hear that word, genre, it is referring to a particular type of literature. That there are, take your Bibles and just do this. Take your Bibles and do this. Just, just thumb through your Bible. In your Bible, there are different types of literature. It's not all the same. Not every book is the same. Not every chapter is the same. Not every verse is the same. There are different types of literature in your Bible. Let me give you another illustration. Tomorrow, you'll likely go to your mailbox. Tomorrow's not a postal holiday, is it? Okay, all right. So this, this illustration is going to work. Tomorrow, you'll likely go to your mailbox, and more than likely, there'll be several pieces of mail there. And when you go to your mailbox, you'll 
likely go to your kitchen or your office or wherever you go to sort the mail. And you'll be able to tell from the size of the envelope, the type of packaging, and the addresses on the mail what pieces are advertising, what pieces are bills, and what pieces are personal mail. Now, they're all mail. They're all mail. But they're different, aren't they? So you sort them into types, and you do different things with them based on how you've sorted them. Or let me say it this way. Let's say that you go to a bookstore maybe to Barnes and Nobles in Greenville, and you walk into the bookstore. If you've ever been to a big bookstore like that, you know that there are many different types of books in the bookstore. There are histories, biographies, and novels, and children's books, and nonfiction, and technical manuals, and reference works, and on and on the list goes, and they're all grouped, aren't they? Uh, the, the fiction books are over here. The children's books are over here. The, the uh, manuals are, are over here. The, the novels are over here. They're all grouped together. And when you pick up a book, because you know what that book is, you expect it to communicate in a certain way. When you pick up a children's book, you expect it to communicate in a certain way because of what it is. It's a children's book. When you pick a novel, you expect it to communicate in a certain way. When you pick up a, uh, a reference manual, you expect it to communicate in a, in a very different way. You're going to have different expectations for that book because of the type of book it is. The same thing is true with your Bible. When you read the Bible, you need to pay attention to the style it was written in, or you may miss out on the brilliance of that book. Now, I want to say it one more time so that you do not misunderstand. Every book is the Word of God. But many of the books are written differently for a reason. And so, for example, when you read a gospel passage, or you read a prophecy, or you read a psalm, or you read an epistle, there's going to be a very different approach to the information the author is presenting to you. A very different purpose. For example, you would not expect Isaiah to lay out historical details like you would in First or Second Chronicles. Uh, you would not expect the Psalms to, to give us historical details like they do in First and Second Chronicles. But Psalms, you're going to expect that they're going to write a, in the song, write a song or tell a story in, in poetic ways. If, if you're reading in the epistles, you recognize, for example, 1 Corinthians. If you're reading the epistles, you recognize this is a letter written to a church, and I'm hearing one side of a two-sided conversation. And so what the book is helps you determine what the book is about and how it applies to your life. So, with all of that as a background, I want to help you understand the major genres of Scripture so that you can read your Bible like a seminary student. I'm going to give you four, just four, of the biblical uh, genres. We're going to talk about just four. Now, I, let me say this. Lori loves it when I do this, but I'm going to send you my notes if you want because what I'm going to talk about tonight, it's going to be so much information, and you're not going to have time to write down a lot of that. So if you'll just email Lori. She loves it when I do this. You just email Lori at L, the letter L, Acker, A-C-K-E-R, Lacker at MountAreaBaptist.com, and I'll give you an abbreviated, we'll send you an abbreviated form of my notes, okay? 
Basically, what I want to provide you is, is, is more or less a, a quick guide to the biblical genres. Kind of a, a bullet point guide to understanding four of the major genres in Scripture. So, we're only going to have time to deal with four. Uh, there are a lot more than four, but these are the four big ones, okay? So if we can grab hold of these four big ones, we can understand the vast majority of the Bible. All right, you ready? Uh, you might want to take notes and just write down things that occurred to you because sometimes I say things that are not in my notes. So you just write, write down whatever you want to, but don't stress if you don't get it all. You can always write Lori, and she'll stress about getting you the information. All right, so here's the four big genres we want to talk about tonight. The first one is narrative. Narrative. I'm going to give you a definition. Narrative is an organized presentation of an historical event to recount God's working in his creation through his people. That's a pretty technical definition, but let me give it to you again. I want to make sure you write it down uh, because each phrase is important. An organized presentation of an historical event to recount God's working in his creation and through his people. Let me simplify that definition for you. Narrative is simply storytelling. Storytelling. And you might want to write this down if you take a note. It is the most common genre in the Bible. Narrative or storytelling, the most common genre in the Bible. By volume, it accounts for the largest amount of material. By volume, there's more narrative in the Bible than any other type of genre. Approximately 40% of the Old Testament is narrative, and about 60% of the New Testament is narrative. Now, when I talk about narrative, primarily, not, not totally, but, but primarily I'm talking about historical narrative. As we read it, it's important to remember that these books are not based on myths. These books are based on facts. So though it is a story, it is always a true story. Make sure you write that down. We're talking about narratives. Though it is a story, it is always a true story. You might want to write this, this little statement down. God loves to tell stories. Have you ever noticed that? God loves to tell stories. There are so many stories in the Bible. Why do you think, talk to me for a moment, why do you think there are so many stories in the Bible? Why is so much of the Word of God written in the form of a story? Why would that be? Make it more relatable? Good. What else? Make it more memorable. Absolutely. We remember stories. Anything else? Make it easier to understand. We understand stories. And we remember stories. In fact, let me, see if the, let me just see how, the, how well you remember a story I told today. Just this morning, I was talking about the world's greatest granddaughter, Lily. Do you remember any of that story? Let's see how much you remember. She went to the doctor, and what did she get at the doctor? Yes. What did Kelly promise her when she got her shots? In the world. <laughs> Barbies? Anything else? Skittles? Two Barbies. All right. How many nurses did it take to hold her down? Three. Three. Now, now, we could keep going on. Listen, you could probably retell that story. You didn't rehearse that. You didn't memorize that. You heard it. And you remembered it. That's the value of stories. Stories stick. Stories are understandable. Stories are relatable. 
Stories cause us to listen. So it shouldn't surprise you that a big chunk of the Bible is narrative or stories. God loves to tell stories. And so in the Old Testament narrative, in the Old Testament uh, portion of the Bible, narrative is found in, and this is where you probably need my notes, you're not going to be able to write all these down. But in the Old Testament, narrative is found in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, Jonah. They're almost all stories. The vast majority of the, at least the first half of the Old Testament is almost all narrative. It's almost all stories. And then you come to the New Testament. And guess what? A big chunk of the New Testament is narrative as well. The four Gospels, have you ever thought about that? The four Gospels are just stories. They're narrative. The book of Acts is narrative. You see, narrative tells us what happened according to the purpose of the author. Sometimes there are spiritual lessons to be learned through the narrative, and sometimes we're just gaining the context of history of how God worked with his people. I want to stress, though, that in a biblical narrative, these are real accounts of real people who had real experiences recorded for theological purposes. These are not fairy tales. These are not made-up stories. These are real accounts of real people who had real experiences recorded for theological purposes. Now, make sure you write this down. The goal, this, this is so good. The goal of a narrative is that narrative calls for active participation of the reader. One of the reasons I believe that God wrote so much of the Bible in narrative form, that God put so many stories in the Bible, is because a narrative calls for active participation of the reader. You see, Scripture, more than any other document, invites us to share in the experience of the story. More than any other, doc, uh, any other document in the Scripture, God wants us to share in the experience of the story. David and Bathsheba, that's a story you remember. And God wants you to kind of share in that experience, to learn from that story. Peter and Cornelius in the New Testament, in Caesarea by the sea, that's an experience that God wants you to share. What was it like for Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time? Let me say it to you this way. Narrative invites you to crawl into the skin of another person and experience life through his senses or her senses. Our goal is not just to read the story. Our goal is to take part in the story. That, listen, if you don't get anything else, that will help you in your Bible study. When you come to narrative, your goal is not just to read the story. Your goal is to take part in it. And when we do that, we get more than information. When we take part in the story, we get life experience. But watch this. But we don't have to experience the failures they experienced. We don't have to experience the struggles that they experienced. Let me give you an example of this. Take your Bibles. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I used to tell my, when I was teaching at Anderson University, I was teaching a Bible there, I used to tell my students, listen, there's two ways to learn something. You can learn from experience or you can learn from example. Two ways to learn something. And that's exactly what comes from 
from this scripture we're about to read. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant. And that word ignorant right there means uninformed, okay? So I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's writing about the Old Testament stories. He's going to use this as an example. Verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Of course, the Apostle Paul is referring back to the Old Testament story of the Exodus. Now, see, look what he says about that. Verse 6, now these things occurred as, what's that next word? Examples. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Paul said you can learn in one of two ways. You can learn by example or you can learn from experience. Learning from experience is more costly. Learning from experience is sometimes more painful. If, if I throw a, a baseball at your nose and break your nose, you've learned from experience. If you watch someone on TV throw a baseball in a baseball game and break somebody's nose, you've learned from example. Which would you rather do? <laughs> I'd much rather want to learn by example than by experience. And that's exactly what Paul says. Now these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples. There's that word again. And were, watch this, and were written down as warnings for us. That's the power of narrative. That's the purpose of narrative. So that you can learn from somebody else's experience. So that you can learn from somebody else's story. So he says in verse 12, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You see, our goal is not just to read a story. Our goal is to take part in the story. And to learn from the example. So, when you come to the Bible, watch this. When you come to the Bible and you're reading through the Bible, try to discern, is this narrative? If it is narrative, then my goal is to get into the story. My goal is to slide into the skin of the person I'm reading about. My goal is to try to experience what it was like. To experience the power, to experience the pain, to experience the shame, to experience the struggles. My goal in a narrative is to try to get into their shoes so I can learn from their example. That's narrative. God loves to tell stories to help us learn. Second one is this. The second type of genre is poetry. This is the second most common genre in the Bible. So you can see why we're taking these four big ones. Narrative is, is the biggest one of them all. 
The second most common genre in the Bible is poetry. Somewhere between a third to a half of the Old Testament is written in poetry form. There's some debate about what is or isn't poetry. And that's why you, but let's just say a third of the Old Testament is written in poetry form. Biblical poetry in Scripture is basically truth written in verse. Let me say that again. Biblical poetry in, is Scripture truth written in verse. So, as you're reading poetry, watch this. Don't, as you're reading poetry, Hebrew poetry, don't expect the poetry to be like the narrative. The author is not necessarily telling a story. The type of scripture that you'll find in poetry is that you'll find that the scripture is full of symbolic language. Scripture uses metaphors and word pictures. The power of poetry is that it comes through a vivid, figurative language. Watch this, listen to this. Poetry, the power of poetry is that it expresses feelings. That's an important statement. The power of poetry is that it expresses feelings. For example, Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh my God. It's not narrative. Not telling a story. He's expressing his feelings. Poetry communicates ideas, but they especially communicate emotion. So feelings and emotion are really the, the purpose behind poetry. To express the feelings that we have. And sometimes the feelings are not positive, by the way. Sometimes the feelings are anger. Sometimes the feelings are, are frustration. Sometimes there are questions. But, but we're expressing emotion and we're expressing feelings. That, that's why so often when somebody is struggling, that they've got cancer or they're terminal or, or something like that, so often they'll say, Pastor, do you have any advice for me? And I'll say, yes, get in the Psalms and stay there. Read the Psalms every day. Somebody recently, I, I said that to them. They're having this major surgery. And he said, do you have any advice for me? I said, get in the Psalms every day. Read at least five Psalms every day. Because in this genre of poetry, the writer is not trying to tell a story. He's trying to express his feelings. Expressing his emotions. And what we find is this, if you don't agree with this. What we find is, as we're reading the text, sometimes we'll come to a psalm, and it's like, he wrote that about me. That's the way I feel. Those are the questions I have. Those are the struggles I'm experiencing. Poetry communicates ideas, yes, but they especially communicate emotion. They show life in its fullest. Now, as you would probably expect, the Psalms make up the majority of biblical poetry. Do you know, how many Psalms are in, in, the, in the, the gathering of Psalms, the Psalter as it's called? How many Psalms are there? 150. 150 Psalms. Who's the, who's the, the author of the majority of those Psalms? David. He's not the only author. There are other authors of the Psalms. David is just the majority, the author of the majority of the Psalms. But there are 150, and there are different types of Psalms. Let me t show you the different kinds of Psalms that you'll find in the book of Psalms. Some are laments, where the psalmist is laying down, a, explaining a troubled situation to the Lord and asking for the Lord's help. Psalms of lament. There's a whole section called Psalms of lament in in the book of Psalms. There are psalms of thanksgiving. For example, Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. There are 
uh, hymns of praise. You would expect that as the psalmist is expressing his emotion, his praise to God. There are psalms. In fact, that's the way the psalms end, by the way. There's a whole section of psalms at the end of the book of psalms. I think it's like 145 or so to 150. And that's the way the psalms end. There's a whole section of psalms of praise. There are wisdom psalms, there are songs of confidence, there are historical psalms, there are hymns celebrating the law of God. Psalm 119, the center of your Bible, the longest psalm in the Bible is a psalm that celebrates the word of God and the law of God. Now, though the psalms make up the majority of biblical poetry, you can also find poetry, Hebrew poetry, in other books of the Bible, Proverbs. Song of Solomon, Lamentations are examples of the genre of poetry. So when you come to the Song of Solomon, when you come to the book of Lamentations, you need to understand what you're dealing with there. This is not historical narrative. This is poetry that expresses emotions and expresses feelings. Now, also you need to know that some of the Old Testament narratives like Job, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Hosea. There's a mixture of narrative and poetry that the books like Job and Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, and Hosea, that they have long, long poems in the middle of the narrative. So there's kind of a mixture there. So that's the second genre. The third genre is prophecy. I'll give you a definition of that. Prophecy is a documented vision or message received directly from God. Prophecy is a documented vision or message received directly from God, communicated to an audience through His designated spokesman. I'll say that one more time. Prophecy is a documented vision or message received directly from God, communicated to an audience through His designated spokesman. Prophecies were mainly, primarily, directed to God's own people, But sometimes prophecies were also directed to kings and countries outside of Israel. Some prophecies are meant only for the original audience. This is where it gets a little confusing in the genre of prophecy. Some prophecies are only intended for the original audience. Some prophecies are intended for a future audience. And some prophecies were for both. Now, as you would expect, there is a big section of Scripture that, that we would call prophecy. Numerically, there are more books of the Bible that are the product of prophets than any other category. There are more books of prophecy than any other category. Uh, there are four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Of course, the books are named after them. And then... In addition to those four major prophets, there are 12 minor prophets. And I'm not going to list them, but you know them, starting with Hosea, going through the book of Malachi. You know this, but let me make sure that you hear it. The major prophets are called major because of the length of their books. The minor prophets are called minor because of the shortness or the brevity of of their prophecy. Now, write this down if you're taking notes. Prophecy was usually God's divine warning given to his covenant people to urge them to repentance. God's divine warning given to his covenant people to urge them to repentance. And the interesting thing about prophecy is that you sometimes learn something new about God. 
when, when you have the, a prophecy, it sometimes communicates a new truth about God that you don't see perhaps in the narratives or you don't see in the poetry. Prophecy communicate because God many times is explaining to His people who He is and why He is directing them to do what He's asking them to do. And so sometimes we learn something new about God and God's sovereign plan uh, through prophecy. Let me give you one last thing about prophecy to, to write down and remember. When you're reading prophecy, whenever the, the genre of Scripture that you're reading is prophecy, like right now, I have my Bible open to Isaiah. When you're reading prophecy, remember this little tip. Always, and underline the word always. Always look at the message to the original audience first before you try to apply it to your day. You've got to read the Old Testament prophetic work as God's challenge to the original audience. And then you can better understand how to apply it to your day. In other words, don't take a prophecy out of context and try to apply it to America in 2021. Make sure that you understand what God was saying through the prophet to the people in that day. And as you better grasp and understand that prophetic message, then you can see how it may apply to your day. Does that make sense? All right. So those are the three of the four big types of genres I just want you to appreciate him for just a moment. Let's pause before we get to the last one. I want you to appreciate how different the Word of God is. And so much of the Bible is written in story form called narrative. And then there is a whole section of the Bible that's written in poetic form, expressing emotions and feelings and questions, songs of praise and songs of lament. And then there's a section of the Bible where God really directs his people and he speaks to them about their life and their covenant relationship. Uh, that's the prophetic books where God is dealing with their covenant relationship. That's a covenant kind of uh, material where God's saying, this is the people I want you to be and this is what I'm asking you to do. And he speaks through the prophet. And you can see how very different each of those are. How very different each of those genres are. And the better you understand that genre the better you will understand what God was saying to the people and what he's saying to us. So that brings me to the fourth and final genre that we want to talk about. That is epistles. The epistles are scriptures written in the form of a letter. The epistles are scriptures written in the form of a letter. It probably doesn't surprise you to find out that letters make up half of the New Testament. So basically, in the New Testament, look up here for a minute. In the New Testament, basically what you have is this. The first half of the New Testament is narrative, the gospel and acts. And the second half of the New Testament is epistle. Letters. The epistles are scriptures written in the form of letters. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about Revelation? That's apocalyptic. That's another genre, apocalyptic. But it's also an epistle because John was writing to the seven churches. Is writing a letter to the seven churches. So letters make up half of the New Testament. As you read, you always want to ask three questions. As you're reading the epistle, as you're reading the letter, you always want to ask three questions. Always. These three questions are, who is the author? Usually that's a very easy question to answer. Who is the author? Number two, who are the recipients 
Who's this letter written to? Again, that's usually, in the New Testament, a very easy question to answer. And But number three is, what's the reason the author had for writing this letter? He had a reason. There was something that led him to write that letter. What was the reason for writing that letter? You should never read a letter in the New Testament without asking those three questions. And the clearer you get on those three questions, the author, the recipients, and more importantly, why. Why did he write this letter to these people? There, then you will clearly have a, a greater understanding of that letter and so, let's talk a little bit about the epistles, this last genre of Scripture. Uh, there are 21 letters in the New Testament written by six different authors. Paul, of course, wrote the most. Peter is another author. James is another author. John wrote five of the letters. And then Jude. And then there's an anonymous letter called Hebrews. And we could debate about who wrote Hebrews, but we'll just say it's anonymous. Some letters, were, you know, were written to individuals and some letters were written to churches. Some letters were written to that person to help them with the situation and some letters were intended to be read aloud to the entire church. It was a message to the entire church. Again, I want you to appreciate how different these genres are. This is not narrative. This is a personal letter. This is not poetry. This is a personal letter. This is not prophecy. This is a personal letter written by an individual to recipients with a purpose. What's the purpose behind writing this letter? So God addressed the message to a definite audience in the first century. But because it is the Word of God, the truths that are in that letter apply to us as well. Now, the epistles always follow a form that is common in the Greco-Roman world. I'll, I'll just kind of outline how these, these letters are, are written. Many of the New Testament letters have a similar format. There's, there's the author is stated, which is different. If you write a letter tomorrow, you're probably going to talk, uh, what's the first thing you'll put in the first line? Pro probably you're going to put, Dear Brad, right? You're going, the recipient goes on the first line. Then there's the body of the letter. And then where do you put your name? At the end. In the Greco-Roman world, that was just the opposite. In the Greco-Roman world, the, the author was stated first. That's why Paul, when he was writing his letters, it always put his name, the author. Because here's the deal. As these letters were passed around, the first thing you want to know is who wrote this. And so the very first, very first words told you who wrote the letter. Paul. Well, what's his qualification? An apostle of Christ Jesus. He explains why he is in authority, why he has the authority to write this letter. Then he addresses the recipients. Here's who I'm writing to, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth. I'm writing to Timothy, I'm writing to Titus, etc. And so then there's, after the introduction, there's the body of the letter. And then the letters often end with either a benediction or a doxology or both. A benediction is a blessing, a doxology is a praise to God. Now, if you're taking notes, make sure you get this. Make sure you write this one down. The letters were written to show us what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the genre of epistles or letters. The letters were written to show us what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. The letters, the epistles, define two things for us. Make sure you write this down. The letters define Christian doctrine, 
this is what we believe as a church. And the letters also describe or define Christian living. Here's how you live out your faith. Write this down. In other words, the letters or the epistles are instructional in nature. They are intended to instruct the church. They are intended to, to instruct an individual like Timothy. The, the letters are instructional in nature. That's their purpose. But remember now, they're always occasioned letters. And what I mean by that is, there was a need that was being addressed by writing this letter. Sometimes there are several needs. There are several situations. For example, in the church at Corinth, man, there's all kinds of needs. But it's still a letter. Where Paul is writing to a church and addressing specific questions and specific needs. And as he did that, he was defining for them Christian doctrine, orthodoxy, and Christian living, orthopraxy. How do you live out your faith? Paul shows us that. In the letters. And so, these are four different genres of Scripture, and I hope you can appreciate how different they are. And how as you're reading your Bible, if you'll pause for a moment and ask, what genre is this? It helps you to approach that text a little differently. And so let me make some, some final few notes, and you can write some of this down. One of the reasons to try to determine the genre before you read something is to gain a head start in understanding the meaning. It just helps you get a head start in understanding the meaning. If we don't account for the genre, we may misunderstand or misapply the truth of God's Word. Genres also show us how God's Word is wide and varied and deep and worthy of a lifetime of study. That the Word of God is wide and it is deep and it is wonderful. And the more you understand God's Word, the deeper it seems to be. But yet the fascinating thing is, a little child can pick it up and read it and God can speak to them as well, right? It's a fascinating book. Now, how many types of genres are there? These are just some concluding thoughts. How many types of genres are they? I, I told you about four. Some people say there are seven. Some people say there are eight. Howard Hendricks says that there are 14. Aren't you glad I didn't come with 14 genres tonight? I just tried to give you the, the, big, the, the, the four big ones. The, in fact, here's what I would say to you if you're taking notes. Of, if you look at the Word of God, this, this is kind of fascinating to me. Those four, narrative, poetry, prophecy, and letters, make up 95% of the Bible. That's why I said if you can learn these four, you'll have a better grasp on how to read the Bible because those four make up 95% of the Bible. Now let me add this last one or two points. Uh, you need to understand that we can't always know the genre of a book with 100% accuracy. Sometimes it's very evident that's prophecy. It's very evident that's poetry. It's very evident that's narrative. It's very evident that's a letter. But sometimes it's disputed and debated. For example... And I may have used this previously, but it's a good example. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is a debated scripture because some say that's narrative, historical narrative. Some say, no, that's, that's poetry. Well, why does it matter? Because if it's a historical narrative, it's a literal account. It literally happened. 
If it's poetry, then it could simply be symbolic. Now, just so it's clear, I think it's biblical narrative, historical narrative. I think it literally happened. But that's just an example of, of you can't know a book's genre with 100% accuracy. And then the last thing I would say is that some books have several types of genres within them. There's a combination. It's, some books, they're all narrative. Some books, there's a, a blending, if you will. Uh, Job is an example. Job is, is, in my understanding, historical narrative, but there's also poetry in that book. There's a blending of the two. So, the writer of Psalm 119, returning to that psalm one more time, I think he said it best in, in verses 14 through 16. He said, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in your riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I ask you as we began, when was the last time that you marveled at God's Word and just admired how it was written? Just try to meditate on this is made up of narrative. God loves to tell stories. It's made up of poetry expressing emotions and feelings and questions and struggles. This book is made up of prophecy, God speaking words about His covenant to His people and what He expects of them. And this book is made up of, what was that last one? Epistles. Teaching us Christian doctrine and how to live out our faith. Take those four genres, apply it to the Word of God whenever you're studying, and you'll have a deeper appreciation for this book that God put together. Amen? Thanks for being here tonight. Let me pray over you and we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you uh, for your word. I truly thank you for the amazing word of God. And it's fascinating when the more we dig, the more we understand how you have written this book and using so many different authors over such a long period of time, living in different places and yet writing one complete story of your love for us and what you've done for us. Father, I just want to ask that maybe this week you would remind us to pick up our Bibles and to marvel, to be amazed that the God of the universe has written down something for us to read. May we never lose that perspective. And I pray that in the name of Jesus.